The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'm kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy and media producer. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. I'm here with our very own personal Yoda, also the senior minister for the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore, Raymond Anderson. How you doing, Raymond? Well, I am, and you? How's the day on Dagobah? Uh, sort of swampy. <laughs> I have a question for you, uh, Yoda, Yoda Raymond. Why didn't you see that Anakin would become Darth Vader? See him become Darth Vader, I did. What makes you think I did not? Well, you, you didn't really do much. I mean, come on. That I never understood that from the Star Wars prequels. Ah, uh, for looking the wrong direction, you did. <laughs> 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 I love your Yoda. <laughs> I can listen to your Yoda all the time. <laughs> I think you should do the rest of the show with, with Yoda. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I, have a, I have an important question for you. Yes, sir, it's very up? pertinent for uh, our audience. Where do, where do you stand on Pop-Tarts? Um, I used to love them. They used to be a very major staple of my regular everyday dietary habits and then about three four years ago i said you know what there are healthier choices so <laughs> it was with much great trepidation <laughs> that i had to stop <laughs> well, that's that's not what i mean that's good health but my question is in the toaster <laughs> or straight from the box oh it depends on the flavor really Yes, the chocolate fudge, you could eat that in the box, out of the box, with a fox, not in the car, not going far. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it eats the same. Strawberry has to be toasted. Cherry has to, oh, wait a minute, let me think about that. Is it the fruit flavors that have to be toasted? Well, I'm, I'm concerned about the coming generation because I put a Pop-Tart in the toaster. And the other day. And like my, you were crazy. Yeah, my son looked at me like, what are, what are you, you doing? doing? Nobody does that. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a pop tart. You put right. it in and it pops out of the toaster. He's like, exactly. nobody does that. You're nuts. Does it not still say on the box? Cause I don't know. Does it not still say on the box? 
toaster pastry? If you look closely, it does. It's not as prominent, though. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I, I guess um, we'll learn about this in today's interview, how not to, how just to be there and not yes. judge people's Zen. Pop-Tart pre- preferences. And I am going to send you a box of Pop-Tarts. Shall we actually, you know, jump into the uh, inspirational quote section instead of all this frufula? Well, there, as long as it's zenful frufula, it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Dueling quotes. All right. Your focus determines your reality. Okay. Uh, your focus determines your reality. It sounds like something Bruce Lee would say or something, you know, uh, Charles film. Yeah, it could be anybody, but I'm going. <laughs> it could be anybody. Right. I'm going to go with Charles film. Very close. Quick gun gin. Is it quick gun gin? See? 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 See, see? Star Wars see? Episode One: The Phantom Menace. He might see? have gotten that from somewhere else. I'm not sure. Considering George Lucas read some New Thought folks, Star Wars has some, you know, it's in there. It does. It does. And I, and I, because I, I feel a little lacking in there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do one more quote. Is that all right? When you realize nothing is lacking, the whole world begin belongs to you. Let's Lao yeah, I was going to say, I know that. I'm familiar with that one. Yes, I like that one. Cool. So you ready for mine? I am. So it says, who would then deny that when I am sipping tea in my tea room, I am swallowing the whole universe with it, and that this very moment of my lifting the bowl to my lips is eternity itself, transcending time and space? Wow, that's that's great. Um, I want to say Rumi, but I don't think that's it. They're 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 in the same, you know, uh, poetic kind of yeah. But it's Daisets Teitaro Suzuki from the book Zen and Japanese Culture. Wonderful. Um, say that three times. His name. Daisets Teitaro Suzuki. You said three times. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> It almost sounds like a Harry Potter thing from the other episode we did. I tried. You tried and failed. Do or do not. There is no try. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, Raymond. So I'm thinking that maybe people are tired of our banter and we should get into uh, our our show today. Our interview is going to be with Koshin, Koshin uh, Paley Ellison, who's the Zen teacher. He's also a psychotherapist and the co-founder and co-guiding teacher of the New York Zen Center of Contemplative Care. Uh, he's yes. got a, a new book out as well. I think it's going to be a great interview. Are you oh, definitely. Uh, definitely. Are you ready to jump into the rest of our episode? Yes, let us jump. I thought you were going to finish that with, with something. You went up at the end there and you didn't come back down. <laughs> let us jump. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> Here's spiritual rebel Sarah Bowen with a segment. Spiritual Moment with Spiritual Rebel, Sarah Bowen. Hello, Big Universe listeners. This is spirituality author and multi-faith educator, Sarah Bowen, with another spiritual moment for you, drawing on insights from new thought and, of course, some pop culture. Today, we're inspired by Zen. In our social media-heavy world, one cannot escape pithy memes on the topic claiming, I'm so Zen. I seem to be attracting my fair share of them. This year for my birthday, a friend sent me a meme of a Zen Buddhist monk opening a card that said, Not thinking of you. And last week, my Facebook feed popped up a pic 
featuring an adorable white fuzzy kitten, mid-flight in a bright green field of grass. The text underneath stated, To catch the grasshopper, first one must be the grasshopper. Somehow the word Zen has become slang for peaceful, relaxed, or how we feel after a day at the spa. And so we remove the deeper meaning for the surface result. I've often thought my favorite wise sage Yoda has a bit of deeper Zen wisdom. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Admittedly, I really could use Raymond's help for the voice here. He does an excellent Yoda. But I digress. When I asked one of my Zen friends to define her beliefs and Zen practice for me, she said, Stop. It's too vast for us to grasp onto intellectually. Just sit. Just breathe. She also tossed me a book of Zen poetry to ponder. So today we'll combine these two ideas with a bit of new thought, love, and gratitude for our spiritually rebellious moment. Here's how it works. First, I'll read a short poem. Then for a few moments, breathe in with gratitude, breathe out with love until you hear the final chime. Okay, here we go. Standing on a cliff among the pines and oaks, spring has come, clothed in mist. Breathe out love. Breathe in gratitude. Breathe out love. Thanks for joining me today. Remember this Zen saying, Enlightenment is an accident, and practice makes us accident-prone. So for more spiritual moments from the world's wisdom traditions to add to your daily practice, 
check out my book, Spiritual Rebel, A Positively Addictive Guide to Finding Deeper Perspective and Higher Purpose at spiritual-rebel.com slash universe. Now here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi friends, it's Martha Creek, www.marthacreek.com. Looking at ways to apply the unity principles in our life and where maybe some of our gaps and, and potholes are that we fall off in there as we attempt to leave the, live this, which is the principle, the fifth principle to apply this. So God is, I am one with that. I, I am uh, experiencing whatever I'm thinking about, whatever I name something, I'm going to experience that. And prayer and meditations are ways to stay within myself and oneness and um, to apply this then is the real work of the principles. So think about where we um, are living by our pat- from our patterned way of being, not our divine patterning, but our legacies, family of origins, the themes that were in our families, and how that goes forward with us if we don't conscientiously choose something different. So um, think about what patterns may be running your shows, um, your attitudes about uh, music, or your attitudes about education, or religion, or how you are in the kitchen, or I do this even though we say, I will never be like my mother, or I'll never be like my father, it's not a question of are we, just where are we that? And what's another option for us but to, to continue to run these patterns? So what would it look like then to interrupt the patterns and to say, wait a minute, I'm going to stop here, pause, and see, is this in conscious alignment with the goals for my own life? Is this who I have come here to be on this planet, in this situation that I'm in, in this circumstance that I'm in? Who do I want to be in this very situation so that I'm not going to be in um, a knee-jerk, instinctual, regressive, animalistic, patterned response to this? I'm going to be in more of an innovative, thoughtful, resourceful, purposeful, present response to this. So responding maybe, not reacting. So where in your life could you practice a little responding versus reacting and to circumvent some of the reacting? And then to begin to think about what are some faulty thinking, what are some examples of faulty thinking that you have or false thinking, like uh, traffic should flow, children should be well-behaved, parents should understand their children. These are all myths and faulty thinking, and if we don't pause to question them, is this actually reality-based? And we continue to live under a fantasy, under mythological thinking, and then wonder why we're suffering. So get a sense then of being on a on a on a, a police, if you will, a monitor, a self-monitor, a self-regulation for yourself to see where is not is my thinking faulty? Where is my thinking faulty? God bless, riches, blessings, MarthaCreek.com. And now it's time for our interview. We're thrilled to interview Koshin Paley Ellison, Zen teacher, psychotherapist, and the co-founder and co-guiding teacher of the New York Zen Center of Contemplative Care. He's also the author of the book, Wholehearted, Slow Down, Help Out, Wake Up. Welcome, Koshin. It's great to see you today, or great to hear you today. Oh, it's delightful to be here. Thank you so much. 
there's a there's so much that's wonderful about your book and uh, and your work. I I love how you bring Zen teachings into the modern world in a very down to earth way. And I have to confess, I like that you use cuss words in your book. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. I, I won't tell a soul. I won't tell a soul. It does make it does make it real for me though. <laughs> I don't know it's what like that right. says about me. I don't know. But uh, to me, it was really important to write about and using language that is vernacular and accessible. And I was actually thinking about my mother and writing this book <laughs> for someone like my mother, who, you know, is definitely interested in spirituality, but she wouldn't be a Buddhist or consider herself a Buddhist, but very interested. And, and yet she's a woman who's very much engaged in the world. So, yeah. Well, awesome. I do have to ask uh, one question because we're very much geeks. And that is, was Yoda a Zen master or not? There are different stories about that. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, one of them was that he was modeled after a Tibetan teacher. And one of them that I heard is that he was actually modeled after Maizumi Roshi, who's actually in our lineage. But I don't actually know. Well, I like your answers and I'll go with them. <laughs> Interesting. So quick question. Um, without, without giving a whole bunch about, you know, the book away, because I want people to go get it. But in your intro, you even mentioned that you wanted to be a monk since, you know, since being a child. So can you share what brought you to Zen in the first place and why a monk? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a very chaotic environment and where there was, you know, generations of, you know, and as they know now from epigenetics and how things get passed on from generation to generation and a family where my grandparents were uh, and their families were connected to the whole cost in, in Europe and as is common in a lot of families where there's historical trauma there's you know the trauma just keeps going and so I definitely had that experience and in our house growing up there was you know uh, physical and sexual and verbal abuse and lots of difficulties and struggle and I think that through all of that chaos I was so still so curious somehow about the world and i used to love going to visit my grandfather and he was this really amazing jewish philanthropic guy and he was so passionate about sharing the world with me and so he used to save all these national geographics and so the story goes that you know it's so much of it is you know told to you sometimes but i do remember this one time you know going out to california to spend a couple of weeks with them and laying on their white shag carpet and in the sunlight and looking at this national geographic and at that time which is ages ago uh, they used to have like mostly just like lost native tribes and in this particular issue they once in a while would have a city and they had a photo essay of Tokyo and in the photo essay there was this photograph of this monk in his Ragasa hat which is this large bowl-shaped hat and yeah you can't 
can't really see his face, but you could see that he was smiling. Mm. And there was just something about, and he in this photograph, there was a lot of people, you know, running past and everyone else was very blurred except for him. And I found that so intriguing mm. and that someone could be still and quiet and seemingly peaceful in the midst of chaos, you could say. Right. And that was so interesting to me and is still interesting to me. <laughs> and I remember looking at the, you know, the, the caption of the photo and it said Zen Buddhist monk in Japan. And I just remember thinking, whatever that is, I'd like to be that. <laughs> and kind of amazing to consider that now. And I think that that has never left me. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. You talk in the book about being a lone wolf at one point in your life um, for, you know, lack of a different word, I guess. What did that mean? And, you know, how are we like that in society today? And I guess what can we do about it? Yeah, so I was, you know, I was really on a quest from a very early age. I started karate when I was, uh, you know, 11. And that's actually where I started meditating kind of formally or informally, whatever you want to call it. And it was a time where I was learning how to be with my own experience. And I had this karate teacher who used to have a sit in seiza, which is your legs basically folded underneath you on the wood floor. And he would just have a sit and focus. And he said, you know, you can never be free until you know how to be still. And I thought it kind of reminded me of that monk at 11. So I was reminded again of this kind of power that silence has and can have. So I think that I was kind of on a quest, but I didn't really have, while well, I went to karate all the time, but I didn't really have a community. And I started going to retreats at a very young age and being very interested in spiritual practice. And so I was studying with Jack Cornfield and all these different wonderful teachers and Gaelic Grimpache and Sharon Salzberg and different folks who are just marvelous teachers and friends now. And, and I really found that I just really wanted to be close. And just so I would just go around to all these different retreats and I was on this bus, a Greyhound bus. So when I was like 17 or so and this woman, you know, sat next to me and she said, you know, so, so what's your deal? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm studying with this person, that person, I'm a Buddhist and I'm all into it. And, and she's like, oh, so you're a lone wolf. And I remember feeling so proud <laughs> and being recognized. And I said, yes. And she said, well, the interesting thing about being a lone wolf is that they're sick. Hmm and dangerous and i remember thinking oh they just like stopped me in my 
attracts this kind of identity that I felt felt was helpful or what I was kind of hiding in suddenly was a place of kind of actually almost broadcasting my vulnerability. And I think that so much of my life I had spent trying to hide my vulnerability because I grew up in a space where that was not safe. And so I think it was really, you know, disturbing in a way that someone could see that because I had worked so hard for people not to see it. And I feel like in many ways, we also now are living in this time of, you know, the pandemic of social isolation. We also now have the pandemic of the COVID uh, virus, and which is also isolating people even more. Where mm-hmm. actually people are doing this like social, I forget what it's called, social distancing. Right. Which is so interesting because we live in a time now where people already are so social distanced, even where the the new generation of young people, you know, many of them, I think it was like 35 in a recent study or 45% of them feel like they don't even have a good acquaintance. They're so socially distanced. And so it's kind of disturbing in a certain way that people are now being encouraged more to... Right. you know, not connect. And right. even though it's a safety precaution and we want everyone to be safe and wash their hands and take care right. of themselves. But at the same time, it's like this lone wolf tendency that we all have. And especially in America and the kind of Western idea of like, I'm on my own. I don't need anyone as if that's a good thing. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But it so, is actually not a great indicator for overall well-being. So let me ask you, what can we, and we've got about a minute and we'll come back to this, but <laughs> I'm sure you can answer it in a minute. Uh, <laughs> what, what, as a society, <laughs> what as a society can we start to do about this? I mean, given where the current situation is is different than what we've been dealing with this, but how can we not be the lone wolf? What are what are things we might be able to do to get beyond that? Well, that's a wonderful question. How do we get beyond being a lone wolf? It's, I usually invite my students to, you know, to me a great barometer for our spiritual practice is what is your relationship like at your local coffee place? So, and many people ask that too. They're like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, (laughs) what are the people's names where you go every morning to get coffee? And most people have no idea. Right. And so to me, that's the place. It's those kind of, those kind of relationships that to me are the bridge to larger relationships, but to have relationships with the people that you actually depend on and interact with every day is critical. So get to know your local barista. We'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. So we were talking about being a lone wolf and getting over that syndrome and how we might be able to address it in society. And you talk about get to know get to know your local barista, for instance. You know, get to contact with people. I think, um, you know, we do spend a lot of time in technology now. You know, go to you know, I look around in a waiting room and something and people aren't talking to each other. They're all looking at their phones. Um, how do we balance that? Put your phone down. (laughs) (laughs) That was simple. (laughs) But I think it's actually really great practice. You know, like we have this friend who, when she goes out with her friends, they put all their phones in a basket or a napkin and like, tie up the napkin and put it in the middle of the table. And because there's many instances where we have this habit of just being so drawn to, you know, going to the bathroom for a long time. You know, you, you see people going to the bathroom when you're out to dinner with them and they're there for like a long time. And now no one worries about them because people know, oh, they're on their phone in the toilet. You know, it's like, that's what it's come to. You're right. And as if we're being like sly or something or like, no, nobody knows I'm on my mm-hmm. phone in the toilet. And <laughs> Not particularly sanitary either. <laughs> exactly. So it's just about, you know, how do we do things differently? How do we reflect on what we're doing so that it doesn't have to be so habitual and that we could actually do something new. And actually learning how to trust our experience enough so that we're like, wow, when I do that, when I'm actually in the toilet with my phone, how do I actually feel in my mind and my body and my spirit? Hmm. And we rarely are considering that, but it's to me, the beauty is not to shame ourselves for that, but to like feel, a healthy embarrassment about it and be like, wow, what does that actually feel like? Hmm. I like that. A healthy yeah. embarrassment. That's in that's a great turn of phrase there. Sure. So uh there's this place, and I, I don't want to play into stereotypes, but there's this city called New York City, which is known for its busyness, or so they say. Where's uh, that? <laughs> so you you founded or uh you are based in New York City, correct? Yes. And so what's it like to have the New Yorkers as, you know, the prime folks who are visiting the center as your students? Oh, it's wonderful. You know, well, first of all, our students come from all over the world. And so we have students from England and from Holland and Brazil and different places, but most of the students come from New York metro area. And you know, our center is wonderful because I feel like, you know, as the kind of old adage, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. You know, like if you can actually find, as a friend of ours says, the calm and the chaos or the, there's a wonderful story actually that I think of from the brothers, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And he talks about this amazing maelstrom. I think the story is actually called the maelstrom. 
And so the maelstrom is like that giant whirlpool thing in the ocean. And it reminds me a lot of our center. And in the story, it's these two brothers on the ship and they're like brought into this maelstrom and they're, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And they're all freaked out and really overwhelmed. And they realize that like, wow, they're hanging on to the edge of the ship, which is going quickly down and going to be destroyed. And one brother looks out at the maelstrom and he takes a moment to widen out his perspective. And he sees that the very light things are actually going up in the maelstrom and are going out of the maelstrom. And the very heavy things like their ship are going down into the maelstrom and being destroyed. And so he and the brother are actually hanging on to the mast of this one time. And he says to the brother, like, let's let go and tie ourselves to barrels and jump in. <laughs> Which sounds counterintuitive. Right. And the one brother's like, you're crazy. And the other brother goes and ties himself to the barrel and throws himself into the storm and is saved. Hmm. And so to me, it's very much like having a practice in New York City or practice anywhere is very much like that. It's about, you know, doing what may be counter to our pattern of comfort and what we like, you know? So it's kind of moving away from our preferences so much and moving into what actually might serve us. And so sure. practicing in New York with New Yorkers is to me like practicing with this incredibly brave group of people who are courageous and throwing themselves in, in different ways, into the maelstrom, into their lives so that they can learn how to participate in life in a fresh, alive and loving way. Wonderful, wonderful. So exciting. Yes, it is exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. Much needed energy. Absolutely, absolutely. Now you talk a lot, uh, your book basically is wholehearted, it's about your, your down to earth interpretations of Zen precepts. And I want to get to all of them in 20 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but for, for people who aren't familiar with the philosophy, where do the precepts come from? Well, the precepts originally come from the time of the Buddha, where, you know, the historical Buddha came up with hundreds of guidelines for monks. And then about 750 years ago, A.H. Dogen, who's the founder of the Soto Zen School, which is the school that we are part of in Zen Buddhism, founded these kind of 16 bodhisattva precepts. So kind of distilled down from hundreds of guidelines to 16. And so for, you know, just about 750 years, we've been like really using this uh, matrix of 16. Yeah, so it comes from there. But they're really all guidelines and quite different than uh, you could say the Ten Commandments insofar as they're ways of reflecting and looking at your life. They're not thou shall not. Mm -hmm. 
I'd love to talk further about the essentials. Are you willing to walk with me on that? Sure. So wakefulness, wakefulness, and you you talk about it as uh, committing to living with intimacy. Tell me what that means to you and how we might be able to use that tool. Yeah, so wakefulness is the first of the 16, and it is my version of what is commonly known as taking refuge in the Buddha, which is just means one who's woken up, one who's awake, and or you could even say one who's in an awakening process. And to me, when I'm actually here with you, and not somewhere else, and I'm in my experience, in my body, and my mind, and my spirit, and in relationship with the world around me, then I'm having an intimate experience. And for me, that's also what you could say true pleasure is. To me, it's so pleasurable to be here in my experience, talking with the two of you, enjoying watching my cat stretching out on the carpet, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's so cute. And like, you know, all of this is happening all at the same time. And knowing that in this moment, many people are very afraid and many people are also having many wonderful experiences. Like so many things are happening at the same time. Hmm. And then here we are in New York and the plum blossoms haven't bloomed yet, but in Japan, the cherry blossoms are beginning to bloom, even in the midst of the pandemic. So like, I feel like so many things are happening at the same time. Mm. How amazing. And to be intimate with the, with the whole range of joy and sorrow to me is actually what wakefulness is and what intimacy is. Mm-hmm. Receptivity, opening up to life's trolls and bullies. And I have to tell you, this one's a challenging one for me. So I'd love to hear your insights on this. How is it challenging for you? Well, oh, opening up to trolls and bullies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that That is uh, something I have to sit with because I don't like dealing with that. Right. Yeah. It's not the most fun. And yet, to me, it's like, you know, the, so this one is my translation of taking refuge in Dharma in the teaching. So again, kind of historically, it was thought of as taking refuge in the teachings of the Buddha, the historical Buddha. But for me, it's really about being receptive to each moment and what is actually happening. Hmm. And, you know, I... You know, in the book, I really, for me, what's always important is to like really be present to what's challenging for myself. And so lately, you know, I, you know, I wrote differently about it in the book, but, you know, still to this day for about over a year now, I've had this practice of, um, I joined a white supremacist group and I log in every morning just to read a little bit. Um, about my fellow members of this group Mm. and it is so difficult and painful Mm -hmm. like almost every time like I can even feel like the tears now and for me you know like learning how 
I really want to learn what compassion and receptivity is that includes everybody. Mm -hmm. And, and so what I see every morning is like I log into this website and each morning, like it's so full of hate and so full of reactivity. And I see like in like not even a half a second, my own reactivity and hatefulness emerges immediately like towards them right. and it's, it's so amazing like how what a teaching that is and I'm like wow i am just like them mm. i'm just like them so learning how to be receptive to like well i have that dar- i have that capacity for great darkness and i feel it every day mm. right. and so to me like learning how to have that relationship with that which is so challenging. I don't advise everyone to have the same kind of practices I do, but to find some way that you're having a relationship with someone who maybe is neutral, who you feel neutral about, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, you know, someone who's close is very easy to feel loving or compassionate towards, but maybe think start with someone who's, you feel neutral about. Well, or maybe someone who just gets on your nerves, you know, but to me, it's about how do we each, you know, start to build that bridge of compassion so that we actually are creating a world that where what's most important is harmony and well-being, but not an idea, but an actual daily practice. So that's, this is one of the ways that I do that. And I know Jim's getting ready to ask you about the next one, but before that, I want to throw in there this thing, because I find a lot of people whose paths I cross have a difficult time with that word that you mentioned, compassion. And when you mentioned logging into the site and you notice the anger and hatred and stuff that wells up within you, um, this level of self-compassion, can you speak to how how you practice that or how important that is? Uh, so yes, I can speak to it. So my opinion um, is I'm not really into this self. There's something that's, we do a lot of teaching around with physicians, you know, both, you know, in the United States and internationally. And my experience is that a lot of people start to feel really bad because they feel like they're not good at their self-compassion or their self-care. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes like another thing that they have to isolate themselves and shame themselves for. So for us, one of the things that's really important is to look at care. The care that I offer you right now is only as good as how I'm caring for myself equally. Because if I'm totally depleted and screwed up as I can be, I'm not gonna be able to be there for you and like actually wonder what you're thinking right now or and have a curiosity about who you really are, which I am, you know, I'm so curious, just like watching you and that shirt i'm curious about the shirt like i'm curious about like a lot of things curious about how you're looking down you know like all of that you know i feel a lot of tenderness but i'm not gonna be able to do that if i'm caught up in 
you know, oh, did I do my self-compassion or did I do, you know, just all these different things that we, and to me, compassion also is not, it's not a one-way situation and neither is care. And for me, and I think at the center, what we really practice is really being in partnership. We think of more instead of a caregiving model, it's a care partnership model. So how do we actually think about, am I really in partnership with you? Where we're equal and giving and receiving freely. And again, I find it much more fun and lively and exciting. And to me, like the vitality, we have such a short time in this life. So how are we gonna uh, participate with the freshness that is always available right now? Beautiful, thank you. <laughs> okay, being of service to others, living like everything matters. Oh, it does. <laughs> um, so this is uh, again my interpretation of and my reimagining of taking refuge in Sangha which is traditionally the group of monks who practice with the Buddha but now is envisioned in a wider sense of connection and again, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier about really starting in kind of basic places of like our baristas, you know, and how are we caring for our environment? Your male person, what's their deal, you know? And looking at you in that white sweater, it looks like, and it's like, what's your deal? And, you know, like, and wondering about our lives and like, wow, what do we imagine happening here? And how do we connect to a wider sense of reality instead of what I think? I mean, actually in a certain way, who really cares about what we think right. individually? It's like almost like we care too much. So sometimes I, you know, kind of kid with some of my students and say like, adopt this kind of thing of saying like, who cares? You know, cause it's like, we care often way too much. It's so inflated or can be so inflated about how much we care about what we think and what we prefer and what we this or we that. Ah, oh, and it's so nice just to lay that down for a moment and be like, yeah, what else? Like my favorite thing to do one of my top favorite things to do is to go to the planetarium. And my husband takes me there sometimes. And we just went recently. And it was so interesting because, you know, they had this new space show and I'm always excited about that. And, and we went and it's really about just our little tiny galaxy, our little Milky Way, but it's like about our little corner of it. And mm -hmm. It talks about life in our little area and what happened to life on Mars and what happened to, I think, life on Venus. And so interesting. But really what was really striking, which I never knew, was that our lives depend on the hot core of the Earth. Mm -hmm. And the hot core of the Earth, 
creates a magnetic field around the earth that protects us from the solar winds. If the, once the earth's core cools, the earth will die. Because mm -hmm. all the life on earth will die. Mm -hmm. And like that's just what's supposed to happen. So, and it's also so interesting to think about, wow, this hot core that most of us are never even aware of, we're actually completely dependent on. <laughs> and, and it's so serious. And so like, I just wonder about that hot core in each of us. And we thrive on connection. And the warmth that is happens in tribal experiences and in group experiences, like we need to connect. We actually, you know, a lonely monkey is a dead monkey, you know, like that we are monkeys, we are mammals, you know, and every mammal needs to connect with other mammals. So whether it's a lone wolf or a lone anything, doesn't do well. And so how do we learn how to get out of my experience and say, how about you? It's fun. Well, I want to talk about the pure precepts. We'll just get it. We don't have a lot of time, but I would love to hear your thoughts on, on loving action, uh, living fearlessly by doing good for others. Yeah, so this is built, that's the sixth of the 16. And it's built on, like, to me, I can't really do something loving for you if I'm not really awake and I'm not receptive and I'm not... You know, I have to be awake, receptive, and connected. I have to be willing to not know the answer. I have to be willing to really bear witness and really feel where you are. And so to me, that's what love is. And I learned this from my grandmother so well, where, you know, a few days before she died, she you know, woke me up in the night and she's like, oh, she was crying. And she said, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, what grandma, you know, what are you sorry about? And she said, I didn't love you well. And I said, what in the world do you mean? Because actually at that moment, I'd never felt so loved by someone in my whole life. Wow. And she said, well, there was that Zen thing and the zen thing like scared me and i didn't understand it so there was a small part of my heart that i moved away from you mm -hmm. and didn't love you fully and i didn't realize until now to love someone and to love you is to love all the things about you even the parts of you that i don't understand or like mm. wow. and she's like and i'm so sorry and to me, that was one of, that is her legacy about teaching me about what real love is. And so for me, loving action is like, wow, is there a part of me that I'm holding back here? You know, and what's that about? Right. Or am I willing to really like feel the parts of me that I want to hold back and move forward anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. So interesting. Well, I have one final question for you. We don't have much time, but I just wondered, 
you know, as things are going on today and, you know, it seems times seem a little interesting to say the least. Um, what kind of, what can you leave us with on, on how we might perceive and, and live in this experience right now? Oh, you know, the founder of our lineage here in the United States, Tyson Mizumi Roshi says, you know, the most important thing to do is appreciate your life, you know? And to, for me, it's like every day, you know, I have a practice before I get out of bed to think about like five things I'm grateful for and mm -hmm. which is part of my practice. And it's about, wow, like, yeah, we live in this time where who knows what's happening with the environment, who knows what's happening with our governments and different rises of things and pandemics and all of this but like how do i want to live in it you know we have the opportunity you know to be really careful to follow the precautions to be alive and engaged and how do we want to be in there and so to me to appreciate our life is to realize like wow this is it i might have a week i might have a day i might have 30 years 20 years who knows but how do I want to be in the time I have is everything. It's the most exquisite gift we have and is rarely appreciated. So to appreciate our life as our teacher, Mizumi Roshi would say. Thank you so much, Christian, for coming on. Absolutely. Enjoy. Wonderful to have you on Big Universe. To find out more about Koshin Paley Ellison, make sure you check out the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, and you can find them on the web, if I believe, at zencare.org. Is that right? Yep. Great. For more information about Raymond, go to raymondanderson.com. I've got premium video courses on my website, called youthrivehere.com. Join me there. Thanks, everybody. It's been great having you, and it's been great talking with Koshin, and we'll talk to you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>